Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. It's one thing to read about a new diet or a fitness routine, but if you aren't obedient to it, nothing will change. The truth is, you're going to have to trust and follow what you have read in order to make changes to your health and fitness. God tells us in his word to show compassion, so we must be obedient and reach out to those in need. In James, we are told, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law, not forgetting what they have read, but doing it, they will be blessed. Pure religion, the kind that passes the test before God, is this, reach out to the homeless and those in need, not forgetting to guard against the corruption of our world. How are you being obedient to the truth of God's word? And how are you showing compassion to those around you? Well, thank you, choir and orchestra, just for uh, blessing us. Amen. Wasn't that wonderful? Yes. Well, I always want to welcome you here to Central Campus and also those of you who are joining us online, as well as those of you who are meeting together at one of our other campuses up in Airdrie, down in South Calgary, in Bridgeland, and also in the northwest part of Calgary. Well, we're studying the book of James together, and once again, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles uh, to the first chapter of this compelling letter. Now, in this opening chapter, uh, James has instructed us on how to respond to uh, three very important matters in life. How to respond, first of all, to trials, and then secondly, how to uh, respond to temptation, and then thirdly, how to respond to truth the truth of God's Word in the Scriptures. And we're going to continue today to look at how to respond to God's truth. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me and join me in reading the final verses of chapter 1 together. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that our God accepts as pure and faultless is this, look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the Apostle James, what you did in his life, And Lord, uh, how you inspired him to write this book that challenges us so. We pray that you would help us to be focused now, that you would help us to understand um, uh, what this um, chapter is all about, what these scriptures are saying to us. Lord, you'd soften our heart, and Lord, you'd give us the courage and the will to respond 
in whatever way you'd have us to. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Some time ago, I heard a speaker at a conference use this quote. The single greatest cause of atheism in our world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but walk out of the church doors and deny him with their lifestyle. It's a stinging indictment. Patrick Morley observes that in the United States, at least a third of the population, or around 100 million people, identify themselves as Bible-believing, born-again Christians. Meaning that they made a decision somewhere along the way to commit their life to Jesus Christ and to follow him with full devotion. He says, now, if that is true, that one out of every three adults in the United States are fully devoted followers of Christ, then the light of God's kingdom should be far brighter in our country than it is. In Matthew 5, Jesus said to his followers, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And yet, sadly, the light is pretty dim. It's largely hidden in North America and in the Western church. Morley believes the reason for this disparity is found in the growing tendencies in churches today to neglect teaching the other half of the gospel. The American gospel, he says, has evolved into this idea that we can have a change of belief without a change of behavior. And consequently, North American Christians are largely indistinguishable from their non-Christian neighbors. And this is tragic because we must understand that God wants more of heaven to come to earth through us, his church. Jesus, in fact, asked us to pray that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, because he wants more of his love and his joy and his peace to come to relationships, to come to marriages, to come to families and to communities and to nations and to the entire world. And this is the concern that James addresses here in the passage that we read together a few moments ago. If God's kingdom is going to come in greater measure, if his will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then James says we will need not only to listen to the truth of God's word, but we need to respond with humility and with obedience. First of all, we need to respond with humility. We looked at this last time. Look at verse 19. James says, Fully devoted followers of Jesus are quick to listen to the truth of God's word. This means that we're eager, we're open to receive what God wants to say to us through the scriptures. We don't skip over Bible passages or sermons that make us uncomfortable, that call us to do things that we may not want to do. Furthermore, James says, fully devoted followers of Jesus are slow to speak. 
We don't try to explain away the truth with rationalizations like, oh, that isn't what Jesus meant, or that no longer applies today when there's no justification to come to that conclusion. Furthermore, James says, fully devoted followers of Jesus are slow to become angry. We don't get our back up. We don't get up and walk out when we hear biblical teaching that challenges us to change the way we're thinking or to change our behavior or, or our lifestyle. In short, fully devoted followers of Jesus humbly accept and humbly receive the truth of God's word, firmly believing that God's way is the best and the only way to live. And the more we align our lives with his will as it's laid out in the scriptures, the fuller, the more abundant our life will be. And then secondly, James says, fully devoted followers of Jesus respond to the truth of God's word with obedience. Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now the word listen in this passage means audit. Like auditing a class. Auditing a class like reading a book may be good for getting information. But that information is largely useless unless you do something with it. And James is saying, what good is it to attend a class on being physically fit, for example, and to have learned gigabytes of information on the subject, but never put what you've learned into practice? What good is it to say, wow, I am so motivated by this fitness class, I'm going to go to the gym after work every day and watch others work out. What good is it to be able to explain to your friends over breakfast the kind of food that they need to eat to stay fit while downing hash browns and greasy pork sausage and cinnamon buns and waffles? I know someone next to you is going, what's wrong with that? You know. <laughs> James says growing Christians don't merely listen to the word. They do what it says. Now make no mistake, reading the Word, studying the Word, hearing the Word taught is a good thing. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word about Christ. Hearing the Word read, hearing it taught in worship services like this is important because the journey of faith starts with hearing or reading the word. It begins at this point. But it must not stop there. If that is all that we do, if we are full of Bible knowledge, but hardly put any of it into practice, then James says we're deceiving ourselves. So how might we be deceiving ourselves? Well, one way is you can substitute Bible knowledge for spiritual growth. You can substitute getting more knowledge for growing spiritually. Many sincere Christians 
are sort of addicted to getting more Bible knowledge. Getting fresh new insights and understanding. And they look for it not only in the church that they're attending, but they will spend hours every week attending Bible studies or listening to sermon podcasts. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But sadly, many of these same people, when through that study God convicts them about a character issue in their life, they won't deal with it. They won't do what God's calling them to do. If the character issue is lying, they'll just keep lying. Many Christians will, will spend hours every week studying the Bible, but they will turn a blind eye to opportunities to live out their faith. Serving in their community or serving in a workplace or the school or in their church. And James says, if you're doing this, you're deceiving yourself because you're just auditing the class. Spiritual growth and maturity does not come just through the attainment of knowledge. It also comes through putting God's truth into practice. I mean, just ask medical students about this. They will tell you that the knowledge that they acquire through classroom instruction is vital. But putting that knowledge into practice with real patients in the hospital is indispensable to becoming fully qualified as a doctor. Now, another way we can deceive ourselves is to substitute an emotional experience for spiritual growth. Your spirit is stirred, and you're moved to tears during a worship service or in response to a sermon, or maybe even a passage of Scripture that you've been reading. And you leave feeling so good and so much closer to the Lord. And that's wonderful. But if your Christian life consists only of going from worship service to worship service, if you lift your hand in praise to God in a worship service, which is perfectly fine, by the way, but if this is what you find yourself doing in a worship service on the weekend, but you hardly lift a finger the rest of the week to serve others who are in need, James says, you're deceiving yourself because you're just auditing the class. Another way we can deceive ourselves is to substitute feeling convicted by a Bible passage or again by a sermon for spiritual growth. You see, being challenged to change is not the same as taking action to change. I mean, you can be challenged every week to change, but nothing will change if you don't exercise faith and do what God's calling you to do. So let me be real practical for a moment with an example. Let's say that you smoke. And let's say that you're doing your devotions and you come across the 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say that we're to honor God by taking care of our body. And you read that passage 
and the Holy Spirit just convicts you that you need to stop smoking. So have you applied this truth to your life? No, you haven't. You may feel challenged to change, but until you stop smoking, you have only heard the word and nothing has changed. The next day you see a television documentary on how smoking causes cancer and a host of other health problems. I mean, the documentary is incredibly moving and you are moved emotionally. Factly, there's parts of it you're actually brought to tears. And you say, that's it. I am done with smoking. So have you applied it yet? I mean, you've shed tears. I mean, you're really serious about this. Have you applied it yet? No, you haven't. You can say, you know, I'm going to stop smoking on Monday or I'm going to stop smoking next month. You can say that for the rest of your life. But you have not applied that passage to your life until you actually step out and take action to stop smoking. And until you do, all you've done is heard the word. You have not done what it says. And folks, we can apply this in so many areas of our lives. In verse 23, James describes the problem this way. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He says, it's like you get up in the morning, you walk in the bathroom, you look in the mirror and you think to yourself, oh boy, my face needs some serious work. You know, I've got a zit here. You know, I've got a piece of spinach stuck in my tooth over here. My hair looks like my head was pulled through a keyhole backwards. My breath could start a fire. And whoa, where did this four-inch hair come from that's sticking out of my ear? Has that ever happened to you? It's crazy. Like, how do you grow a four-inch hair in eight hours? And, you know, it gets worse as you get older. Just thought I'd let you know. I'm convinced that instead of falling out, as you age, your hair starts growing in. And then it comes out in other places that it shouldn't. Like your ears, you know, your nose, your eyebrows. You go to sleep at night feeling pretty normal. And the next morning you go, you get up and you've got these two four-inch hairs sticking right up out of your eyebrow, your left eyebrow, and you don't know whether to curl them, whether to braid them, or, or just let them flow up into your hair Donald Trump style, you know. <laughs> but I digress. Back to the mirror. So you look in the mirror and you see that your face needs some serious work. Let's say that, you know, you've been working out in the yard and you've got some dirt on your face. Now, you know, if you don't look in the mirror, you won't know that you got dirt on your face. If no one else tells you that you got dirt on your face, you won't know. But you see, that's the purpose of what a mirror is, just like what the purpose of the scriptures are. You kind of reflect back 
reality. They see the mirror only reveals that you have dirt on your face. It doesn't have the capacity to actually clean the dirt on your face. And so you can look in the mirror all day long until you actually take action to wash your face. The dirt's going to remain on your face. And this describes a bit of reality in the church of North America today. In Ezekiel chapter 33, God's speaking to the prophet Ezekiel about the impact that his preaching is having on the people. And in verse 30, the Lord says this to Ezekiel. As for you, son of man, your people are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. David Daniel says, if God were speaking to Ezekiel today, he would say something like this. Ezekiel People are coming to your worship service, listening to your sermons and taking notes. And on Monday morning, they gather around the water cooler and they compliment you and they applaud you. And they talk about what an amazing preacher you are. They download every podcast from you and get CDs and DVDs of your messages and they pass them on to others. But here's the problem. While they love your sermons and think you're a great guy, they're still greedy for unjust gain. Their lives remain unchanged. They leave the worship service and they say, man, I love that guy. You know, what a great preacher. I, you know, he hit it out of the park today. I, I'm going to text him and tell him that his sermon was a 10 out of 10. But come Wednesday... They pretty much have forgotten 90% of what you said. And they haven't changed at all. Ezekiel, remember you, you spoke about generosity? But they're still greedy. They're still spending most of what they have on themselves. Zeke, you spoke about keeping a tight rein on your tongue. But they're still criticizing. They're still slandering and gossiping. And you see, this is what James is getting at with this analogy of the mirror. We can become professional hearers of the word. We can become professional evaluators of a worship service and of sermons and somehow miss the point of it all. Why God gave us the scriptures in the first place. We were given the scriptures not just to read or to hear. We were given the scriptures to apply to our lives, to 
to transform our lives, to align our life more fully into the image of the Lord. In verse 26, James goes on to give a litmus test for spiritual maturity. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, when James uses the word religious here, he's really talking about maturity. In essence, he's saying, if you want to know how mature you are in your faith, well, then just ask yourself these three questions. Three of many that James could have asked. First of all, do I keep a tight rein on my tongue? James says, if you think you're growing closer to God by attending a Bible study or listening to sermon podcasts, but you can't control your tongue, if what you communicate by email or texting, Facebook, what you communicate in writing or with your tongue is hurtful, if it's divisive, if it's slanderous, and or mean-spirited and doesn't represent the life and the spirit of Jesus Christ, then you're not only misrepresenting Christ and his church, but you are revealing how immature your walk with God really is. A further litmus test that James gives is, am I living a God-pleasing life? Not a perfect life, but a life that's increasingly seeking to be more like Jesus. A life that reflects the character of Jesus, the values and the mission of Jesus, rather than the temporary things of the world. And a third litmus test he gives here is, do you have a heart of compassion for orphans and widows? And are you doing your part to ensure they're being cared for? In the first century, orphans and widows would have been the most vulnerable and the most needy in that particular society. There were no social programs, and if a widow or an orphan didn't have family, um, over time they would just die. In our day, widows and orphans could be defined in many additional ways, including the poor, the marginalized, the vulnerable, but also the needs that God brings to our awareness in our neighborhood or, again, at work or school or at church. James is saying, if you aren't doing anything to care for people in need, if you're giving little more than coffee money or pocket chains, change, to meet the needs of the poor and the less fortunate, if you hardly ever lift a finger to help someone or to serve alongside someone who asks you to join them in some ministry, then you may know your Bible inside out. But, it's, but you are far from being mature 
in your walk with God. So let me stop right there for a moment and to check in with you all. (laughs) I don't have a way to do a survey right now, but how are you doing after reflecting and thinking about these very difficult words of James? Words like this, when you read them, when you hear them expounded on, um, can make us um, really quite uncomfortable, can't they? We, we just kind of want to skip over them. We want to uh, explain them away, avoid them. And in the moment, there's all kinds of emotions that are going on inside of us. And, and so, as I wrap up, I want to speak to some of the feelings that I'm sure some of you are struggling with right now as you've been reflecting on the words of James here and listening to this message. Some of you are feeling a little unsure right now in your faith. You're wondering if your faith is real, if you're doing enough to please God. Well, James deals with this in greater detail in chapter 2. So I won't go into it in detail here except to say this. Every religion on this planet outside of Christianity teaches that the only way to reach God and to win over God's acceptance and favor is through doing good works that often includes a list of religious rituals and duties as well. And that is not what James is getting at here. The good news of Christianity is we can never reach God or, be, or earn God's favor through our own efforts or through our own good works. And so because of his love and his grace for us, God actually reached out to us because we're incapable of reaching out to him, at least in terms of getting through to him. He reaches out to us through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And all we can do is put our trust in Jesus and in what he accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. Now this doesn't mean doing good works is unimportant. It's just that our motivation for doing good works is significantly different than those in other faiths who are counting on their good works to actually win God's favor and to get eternal life. As Christ followers, we do not do good works to earn God's love and favor. We do good works in response to God's love and grace. And so when James says that faith without works is dead, he's saying if your faith in Jesus Christ and your friendship with Christ is the real deal, then you will be passionate about the things that matter to Jesus. And you will do good works out of your love and your commitment to him, not out of some sense of duty or some sense that by doing good works, you will receive God's forgiveness and approval. That is a free gift 
that you can only receive. James says, in God's eyes, faith without works is dead. But I also believe that he would say, in God's eyes, works without genuine faith is dead as well. Yes, it all starts and it hinges on genuine faith in Jesus Christ. But faith and works go together. Because a genuine faith is evidenced in and through your life. Now, others of you may be feeling discouraged right now. I mean, you want to do more than just read the word or just hear the word. You want to do what God calls you to do. But you feel like you have no margin in your life to do anything. Someone once said to me, you always have time to do what is most important to you. And that really is the issue, isn't it? Ask yourself, what is going to matter most to you when it's all said and done? And keep that question in mind as you examine how you're using your time outside of work. And ask the Lord to show you areas in your life that you need to stop doing so that you have margin to do the things that he's calling you to do and that's really going to matter most to you in the end. I'm amazed when I talk to people who, you know, speak about having so little margin in their life outside of work how much of their evenings are spent watching sports on television, surfing the net, attending sports events, or just watching television, movies. And again, not saying that any of that is all wrong. The question is, is it the best? Is, is this what God created you for? You know, I was shocked, as many of you were, to hear about the sudden death of our former premier, Jim Prentice. We need to be upholding his family uh, in prayer at this time. Over the years, uh, Jim and his family have attended our services from time to time. And a little over a year ago, we spent over two hours together in my office discussing various issues affecting our province and our nation. And now, I mean, just like that, in an instant, he's gone. And I, I can still recall, I mean, the other day, driving down John Lurie Boulevard, and my mind, I was fretting about something, trying to figure out a solution to something, and and, and as I was fretting about this thing, I heard the news of, of Jim's sudden death. And immediately, what I was fretting about faded away. And Psalm 90 came to mind. Lord, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom.
The psalmist says it is important to number your days. Not in an obsessive kind of way, but to remind yourself from time to time that your days are numbered, that they may not always go on forever. And as you reflect on that reality, you will receive the wisdom you need to invest your life in things that are going to matter to you most in the end. And more importantly, matter most to God. You see, it's so important we understand God's heart in this teaching and hearing, on hearing and doing. He is not our enemy. God loves us. He has our best interests at heart in all things. His heart's desire in this teaching on hearing and doing is not to burden us, but to bless us. To set us free from all that keeps us from being all that he wants us to be. That he created us to be. He genuinely wants us to live and to experience life to the full. And yes, he loves us too much not to warn us that if we ignore or keep putting off doing what he's asking us to do, if we keep putting off aligning our life with the life that he's laid out for us, there will be a cost and there will be deep regret one day. Some of you have heard God speak to you about giving more attention to your marriage or giving more attention to your family or giving more attention to your health. Some of you have heard God speak to you about serving other people and investing more of your time in, in your resources and advancing the mission of the church and the kingdom of God. Others of you have heard God speak to you about an unhealthy relationship that you're in. You know this relationship is not God's best for you. And still others of you have heard God speak to you about an area of dishonesty in your life. Or about being more generous. Or about reining in your tongue. Or about forgiving someone. But you see, here's the thing. Nothing will change unless you act on it. Nothing will change until you prayerfully look at how you're spending your time and your money and you take action to change whatever isn't moving you toward what you believe is most important. A year from now, Five years from now, you'll still be in exactly the same place if you don't do what you believe God's calling you to do. And that's why James pleads with us to not merely listen to the word, to not just listen and critically evaluate worship services and sermons, take copious notes and debate the fine points of doctrine, as important as all that may be, but to be doers of the word. To live out what we're hearing God say to us. Now, 
Now, in addition to these, others of you are feeling inadequate right now. You want to live out your faith and do what God calls you to do, but you're afraid of failure. You know, when God asked Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, he asked God, but who am I to do this? And God reminded Moses that it really didn't make any difference who he was. What mattered was is who God is. And Moses asked, well, what shall I say to them? And God said, I'll be with you. I'll tell you what to say. Just step out, just go, and I will be with you. You just trust me. Elizabeth Elliot tells how her husband, Jim Elliot, graduated from college with highest honors. God called him to the jungle of Ecuador to be a missionary to the Quechua Indians. Everything the Quechua Indians respected in a man, Jim was unqualified for. He graduated with highest honors in classical Greek, but he couldn't speak a word of one of the easiest languages in the world. And they'd never met someone who couldn't speak their language. He didn't know how to thatch a roof. They'd never met a man who couldn't do that. He didn't know how to navigate a canoe up the rapids. They never met a man who couldn't do that. You see, back in the United States, Elliot was admired for many things, including his faith, his intellect, his degrees, his use of the English language and various abilities. But to the Quechua Indians, he was a total loser. But you see, he believed that God, the God who sent him there, was with him. He put his trust in God to do what he couldn't do. So let me ask you, what has God asked you to do? Do you feel qualified? Or do you find tapes playing in your head that say you're incompetent? You're unqualified. You're inadequate for the task. Well, the truth is you are inadequate for the task that God is calling you to. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have or years of experience you have. You are still inadequate to do the job without God. And yet you need to remember that God is with you. And despite all of your feelings of inadequacy and your fear of failure, He will do in and through you what you can't do in your own strength. You see, it's in our times of greatest fear, our times of greatest desperation, where God meets us and grows our faith to another level. But it will mean living daily in humble dependence on his enabling grace. It will mean regularly saying, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need you to do what I can't do. But you have to make a decision. Are you going to do what God's asking you to do and experience the faith-filled adventures that he has marked out for you? Or are you going to take the easy road, shrink back, and do what is safe and easy and give your life to lesser things. I want to challenge you to open up your hands to God and say, Lord, here I am. I feel inadequate. I feel unprepared.
I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of being embarrassed. But I'm humbling myself, Lord. And I'm putting my trust and my dependence in you. Show me, Lord, who you want me to serve today. Show me, Lord, what in my character you want to begin to mature today. Guide me, Lord, where you want me to invest in in this next season in my life. And then anticipate hearing from him, sensing his prompting. The opportunities to put your faith into action are endless. There are children in this church, a significant number from broken homes, who need a shepherd to invest in them. There are youth who need a mentor. There are people with special needs who need a caregiver. There are new Canadians coming to our Friendship Center who need a helping hand and encouragement. There are all kinds of people coming our way who need someone to pray with them for healing, for deliverance, for God's wisdom and guidance. There are people who need food, who need help with budgeting, who need guidance and advice on getting employment. There are shut-ins who long for someone to visit them. There are people grieving the loss of a loved one who need support and not just for a few hours, but the kind of support that invites them into your community of faith, your community group, or your spiritual family and continue to walk with them. There may be neighbors a co-worker, a, a fellow student who needs a listening ear and a word of encouragement. The opportunities are endless and God will direct your steps if you open your life to him and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. You know, in verse 25, James says, when you do what God calls you to do, you'll be blessed in what you do. The word blessed means to be deeply happy. You're going to be fulfilled, truly fulfilled, satisfied, and you're going to experience the fullness of the joy of the Lord. And you know what? Others are going to come to that place where they put their trust in Jesus Christ or are drawn closer to Jesus Christ because they see Jesus in you. Because they've witnessed firsthand a life, what a life looks like that is fully devoted to Jesus Christ. You know, there isn't a greater compliment a person can receive than to live your life in such a loving, winsome, and gracious way that people wonder why you seem to be so different in a good way. Lord, may we not merely listen to the word and so deceive ourselves. But by your grace and with your guidance and help, may we do what it says. Would you stand with me, please?
Some of you, maybe many of you, have wondered why over this past year we've closed off our services with me asking those two questions. Lord, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what do you want me to do about it? What is one step you want me to take in response to what you've been saying to me? Well, if you want to know, why ask those questions? Just reread the passage that we looked at today. That we might not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Doers so that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it be so to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love. Just take a moment right now and ask the Lord those two questions. ask the prayer partners if you'd make your way up here and if you have a burden that you'd like someone to pray with you about if you have questions you'd like to talk with someone about if you'd like to meet this Jesus that we've been talking about those prayer partners that are coming up would love to talk with you about all that now may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.